I'm speaking with Ian Cousin, who's in the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology at Princeton University, and we're talking about the math involved uh, with collective motion. It's an amazing thing when you see flocks of birds or, or a school of fish that, that move around so in, with such great coordination. And, and Ian, you do research into that, and what have you found, and, and what kind of math have you used to find that? Well, one of the, the intriguing things about these types of animal groups is that, as you said, the, the degree of coordination of the collective is phenomenal. And in fact, in the past, even until the 40s and, and even 50s, people thought that there had to be some sort of thought transference or telepathy among individuals, or a leader that somehow instantaneously gives commands to all of the other individuals in a school of fish or a flock of birds. Uh, and big advances have been made using computers to simulate these types of animal groups. And that's really the technique we most often use. So we simulate the types of equations of motion and interactions that we find within these animal groups. And this is, this is huge advantages because the human brain is, is very good at looking at patterns but very poor at quantifying them and very poor at trying to work out you know, when you have hundreds of interacting or even thousands or tens of thousands of interacting organisms, how these relatively simple rules of interaction scale up to these collective phenomena. And so a lot of times you do get the impression, like, for example, you see a flock of geese, you think, oh, there's a leader and everyone's just following that one goose. Yeah, in some cases, such as there's V formations that are formed by certain bird species like geese, then there may be an aerodynamic benefit to being behind individuals uh, because what they do is they shed a vortex of, of air from the wing tips and this creates a slight lift to the bird behind. And so in this case where you have selfish individuals, you know, you're paying a cost of being at the front, and so individuals at the front may swap that position. A bit like, uh, you know, cyclists in, in road races, you know, being at the front is, means you cannot be in the slipstream of another individual, and so they tend to exchange these positions over time. But, you know, in other animal groups, we know that there are leaders. Again, you know, migrating birds, some individuals have performed that migration before, others haven't. So there can, of course, be differences among the individuals. Um, but what we find is that, again, you don't need to have individual recognition. You don't need to know who has information and who does not. Just by following simple and local rules, information can be spread through the group without requiring that level of cognitive complexity. And then they are uh, simple local rules. One of them you discovered is, is avoidance and alignment. That's right. Very typically within animal groups, um, sort of almost universally, what we find is that individuals will avoid collisions, and that makes sense. You know, if you're a flock of birds in flight, collisions can actually be fatal. And so one of the highest priority rules is to avoid others that get too close to you. Um, but individuals also tend to align their direction of travel with other individuals. So they tend to move in the same direction as local neighbors. But of course, there's also an attraction among individuals. Without an attraction, you wouldn't have cohesive, coherent groups. The groups would constantly fragment apart. And so how individuals change the relative weighting of these terms according to context you know, as they get. If a predator is detected, for example, they're much more strongly oriented to each other. So the alignment tendency is very strong. And this has important consequences because it allows long-range transmission of information. So even if a few individuals see the predator and turn away, this can propagate as a, as a moving wave across the entire group, allowing individuals to avoid that threat. And, and how did you get interested in this topic? Well, when I was a kid, I was always interested in, in organisms like ants. You know, how do these you know, insects live within such complex societies? 
uh, and so I, I did a degree in biology, and and then it was actually during my PhD that I was, you know, watching ants in a colony, and then I suddenly realised, you know, that a major constraint of the human visual system is that, you know, I could only focus on one ant at a time and follow what she was doing. But of course, what she does is within the context of what all the other ants do. It's, a, it's a, you know, if you like, a parallel computer. And this sort of frustrated me because, you know, either I'd have to film these ants and watch it, you know, several thousand times, follow each ant through, or I'd have to find a better way of doing it. And so what I ended up doing was developing uh, computer software that automatically tracked the motion of all of the individuals simultaneously and got data from them simultaneously. And this, of course, produced a large amount of trajectory information and movement patterns of individuals. And then to understand that movement pattern, I sort of wanted to come the other way, which is using mathematical techniques to, to see what rules would generate these types of movements. And so we sort of, on one side, we do uh, sort of virtual simulations, and you know, so you get a virtual colony of ants in your computer or a virtual flock of birds generating these trajectories. And at the other side, we do experiments where we then automatically track the organisms using computer vision software to, to sort of link together how these small-scale interactions scale up to the large-scale collective. Does it take a lot of good guessing to, to establish the right rules so that your virtual colony will resemble the real thing? Well, unfortunately... There's too much guesswork involved in these types of models at the moment. The, the type of mathematics that we need to solve these types of problems is not yet available, um, although new techniques are being developed all the time. So uh, this is where you know, classic biology comes into play. You, know, you can look at a, a school of fish or a swarm of uh, locusts for you know, your whole life and never really understand what's driving that process. But what we do as biologists is we can go in and we can perturb that system. We can change the visual system of individuals. We can change the neural system of individuals to test hypotheses about how these organizations form. For example, in these huge swarms of locusts, you get marching bands of locusts and crickets. So you can have tens of kilometers of insects all marching along the ground in the same direction of travel. Well, you know, why are they doing that? Is it some sort of cooperative behavior? Is it like, you know, the birds and the fish? Well, in actual fact, what we find is patterns that look the same can be driven by completely different mechanisms. And in the case of locusts and crickets, it's driven by cannibalism. All of the individuals are trying to eat everyone else. And so your best strategy is to move towards individuals that are moving away from you to try to eat them and move away from individuals that are moving towards you. And the outcome of those simple rules is a, a moving swarm. And, and that the discovery you made with the locust was, was kind of surprising. You know, most people wouldn't even think that the locust is, is going to eat another locust. They, you think of them eating crops. Well, it was highly surprising to us. And so we were doing a previous study in which we were actually very interested in what are called phase transitions in behavior. And so this is analogous to the transition, for example, when you heat up water, it, you know, it heats up, it heats up, it heats up, and then there's quite a sudden transition into the gaseous phase. And we've been interested in whether the types of physics that are involved in these types of systems are also related to why you know, we have locusts around at low density and they're sort of moving like gas, and suddenly they get to a critical density and they start behaving like a living fluid. And so that was what we were initially studying, and, and, and we were successful in showing that the transition was very similar. But what also happened in those experiments, as well as uh, you know, forming spontaneous groups, locusts would spontaneously disappear. And this is in controlled lab environments, where I counted the number of locusts that I put into the arena, and I didn't get the same number out at the end of the day. And going back to the videos, what we found was that locusts were eating each other. And this is very surprising, because we and many others considered these to be largely vegetarian insects. 
But then going through the literature, we find frequent examples of locusts cannibalizing in experimental conditions. So this has kind of been swept under the carpet as some sort of aberrant behavior. But what we now know is that it actually is absolutely functional and drives the collective motion of these groups. So we really have a case of an extremely selfish herd. The research you did carried you across two continents. Yes, I've worked on locusts in Australia, uh, in Mauritania. Unfortunately, we can't work on locusts here in Princeton. In actual fact, there used to be huge plagues of locusts in the United States. Uh, The Rocky Mountain plague locusts formed such huge flocks that it would darken the sky as they flew over. But these locusts are are unfortunately now uh, thought to be extinct. But but even the red-legged locusts, which are still around, used to form very, very large swarms and doesn't do so anymore. Well, Ian, is there anything you'd like to add? Uh, no, I think that's, that's everything. All right, well, thank you. That's Ian Cousin, who's at Princeton University in the Department of Ecology and Evolutionary Biology. Ian, thank you very much. My pleasure.